is Peek Inside the Panic Room, where we explore our passions with zero limits, mixed with the occasional bit of chaos. You don't have to be famous to have a story to tell. So strap yourself in and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Peek Inside the Panic Room. And today we've got a very special guest. It's actually, uh, it's interesting for me. Normally we get people in that uh, are a bit rookie in this area. But today we've got uh, Dr. John Cosson. Now let me get this right. Oral and maxi maxillofacial surgeon. Perfect. Much better than my bank manager that once introduced me as an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. <laughs> and I'm not joking. <laughs> and we all just looked at him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you did well. Well, okay. And it's, and a, it's a stupid term. It's an old Latin thing, but it basically I call myself an oral and facial surgeon. Yes. <clears throat> which makes a lot more sense to people. Okay. So. Uh, and you've got your own practice and, and rooms, coastal oral and facial surgery. Yeah, that's correct. So, mate, this is, you're the first doctor in the panic room. Oh, official one anyway. There's been people claiming to be doctors, but the first official one. <laughs> the first honorary doctor. The real doctors are those with PhDs, of course. Yep. I'm just one of those honorary ones. So I got <laughs> yeah, I got the dental degree first and then I got the medical degree because you have to have both to do what we call OMF in Australia. Yep. So you have to have both degrees um, and then you do four to six years of surgical training and then you come out the other end and start work in your middle ages. I've got to say, so you, mm. you, you, you studied dentistry first. Yeah, you can do either first, yep. medicine or dentistry. So was the plan always to go into this? No, my plan was always to do medicine first as a uh, high school student. Didn't quite crack the marks, so did dentistry, not knowing anything about it. Then joined the army, worked as a dentist for nine years, um, which involved a lot of skydiving and skiing more than <laughs> anything else. Um, just the way the army works. Um, a lifestyle dentist. Correct. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was the first military freefall qualified skydiver which you do all my jumps with the SAS and led the army skydiving team and was the president of the Defence Force Sports Parachuting Association and occasionally put some fillings in but <laughs> I didn't find the teeth side that exciting yes so then I said to the army I want to do oral max fac and they said oh we'll sponsor you so they paid for me to go to med school and I did the medical school and then I was um, going to work for them as an OMF and it all became a bit difficult, so they said, look, just go out and do do it. So I just left the army after 21 years and uh, became an oral and maxillofacial surgeon in private practice. Moved to the Gold Coast in 2005 because I was training in Brisbane. So why wouldn't you move here? Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's the first place I've ever lived more than three years of my life because I was an army brat from an army family and then did army myself and then settled on the Gold Coast, set up my practice in uh, Benoa initially, actually Burley initially, then expanded to Benoa, and then the people at Tweed Heads hated driving up here. So of course I opened they up a set of rooms in a beautiful old house in Tweed, uh, and then I work in the hospitals up and down the Gold Coast now. Incredible. Let's uh, let's go back to the Army. So mm. that must have been, for you, 21 years in the Army, that's a massive chunk of your life. Yeah. Was that daunting? No, fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. Um... I was always here. I'm not a great sportsman, but I've always been into sports. Yes. Um, so I like the physical fitness side. I like the discipline side. I love the camaraderie. And having grown up in the army, as I said, I was used to moving all the time. 
So in the army, every two to three years, they send you somewhere else. And the funny thing is you go somewhere else and you bump to someone that you knew six years ago mm. and you're back together again. Um, so I, I loved all that stuff. And then, yeah, the distractions of not doing dentistry. I hope no one in dentistry. Well, there's no dental corps anymore. It's all been civilianised, so I can I can talk about it. Yes. They've civilianised everything. But, uh, yeah, I used to have a rule in my unit when I was in charge that any soldier could pick any sport or activity they were really good at and take it to the nth degree. They couldn't do two. So we had ladies in my unit that were really good at netball that would end up representing the Defence Force in European competitions. And we would see them <laughs> probably about four months a year. The rest of the time they're off playing netball. Um, it's an inspiration to people to do that sort of thing. Snow skiing, as I said, skydiving for me. Did a lot of martial arts. Um we had golfers that used to do um, inter-service golf competitions. So there's that side of the army that you don't really see on the ads. It's all riding around in tanks and shooting it, at things over the hill and that sort of stuff. But It 100% is. That only occurs in war. And the majority of the army time is training for war but doing peacetime activities. So it's all that other stuff that I really enjoyed. And, and leaving it, mm. how do you cope with that? Great. <laughs> 21 years is enough, I can tell you. But it was all changing too. In the last five years, the army always goes through this evolution of, you know, there's a war, World War One, and then yes. you get conscription and everyone comes in and fights and comes back with terrible PTSD and it's absolutely awful. Um, and then you had World War Two quite soon after. So everything was still geared up for it and people were almost used to it. Uh, and then you had quite a gap. You had the Vietnam War and all of a sudden no one knew how to fight. So you're bringing in these young kids like Normie Rowe, etc., coming in at 19, 18, sent off to Canungra, yeah. <laughs> Townsville, all those bush places, over to uh, all these kids who had no idea. Um, and then we finally sort of built up the art of fighting again. And, of course, Vietnam finished and a lot of money still going in the Defence Forces and then peacetime. And everyone forgets everything again. And you've got to relearn the lesson. So what happened with me, by the time I got out, we were so far away from conflict, even though there'd been a bit of desert storm and that sort of stuff, um, that we were going corporate. So you had all these um, organisational company structures going on. In my day, you had a unit, you had soldiers in your unit, you allocated a certain amount of funds to run it, you did your funding um, and you reported back on what you spent it on and everyone was happy so long as you were doing your job in the unit whether yeah. you're an engineer or a um, military policeman or a doctor or a dentist you had a job to do you did it but then it became Basbys and Basques and all these other anagrams of, of corporate structures that you had no autonomy of your own and I just said there yeah, good good time to leave yeah yeah, too, too PC for me <laughs> <laughs> so okay the fear of dentists, <gasps> right? Terrible. Fear. Is it is it real? Not anymore. Used to be. Yeah, it used to be. Um, they invented this thing called fluoride, which helped so much. But now they're taking it out. Ah. Oh. So in the old days, you'd go to a school dentist. No one had money. Um, so basically, things were done. If it was a little hard, you had your tooth pulled out, um, and you'd get a ton of fillings, and it was just a horrible state for a child to be in. Mm. But then they discovered that in communities where there's natural fluoridation, kids didn't have decayed teeth and then been like that for 300 years. And they went, oh, okay, let's add it. And kids, a whole generation, 
from the 70s onwards came in at the dentist and they got their teeth cleaned. And they never had a needle, they yeah. never had a filling and uh, look at their mums going, why are you looking so worried? <laughs> oh, you know, I was scared. And it all comes from their parents. Yeah. And I just used to have a rule, parents did not come in. Parents sat in the waiting room. I don't want you in here holding your son's hand like I'm going to hurt him. And the kids were fine. So we had a whole generation growing up without the fear of the dentist. Um, and now we're taking fluoride out. We're not getting that politics. They'll all come back in with holes in. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it And there's arguments everywhere. It's a whole other podcast. I know. <laughs> we can talk about health stuff another time. We've got better things to talk about than health. Yeah, no, well, yeah well, it's, it's funny though, isn't it? It's And, you know, I guess we've been through an interesting period for the last four years in that in that side of, of life mm-hmm. where conspiracy theories and all this kind Yay. of stuff, you know, it's, it's you know, got to wear your tin hat. I see you're not wearing a tin hat and I'm not wearing one either, ah. you know. Not on that level, but uh, you know, yeah. there's some things I'm sure we could dive pretty deep into. Yeah, mate, I I I got no dramas with dentists. I I, I got no problems with it. Uh, I did have a pretty bad uh, wisdom tooth uh, operation that didn't go particularly well, and and had some things after the fact. Mate, is there any truth to the rumor that that dentists would climb on their patients? <laughs> they tell me that all the time and pull them out. And I've sat there and I've gone, I cannot see a mechanical advantage <laughs> with putting your knee on someone's chest. Yeah. It it has no principles of leverage or fulcrum <laughs> that is of any benefit. But honestly, there are, um, I get sadly quite a few patients that have sat in a chair for two or three hours when someone's trying to get their tooth out and then they get sent to me and then I pop it out for the next day and it takes 15 minutes. And it's, it's, I was going to say it's not reflecting badly on the dentist's skills. It reflects badly on the dentist's choice of what they are capable of. Mm. So. so I think really it's it's like anything. You're, you're best going to people that know what they're doing and specialise, which is why you're a specialist. Yep. Right? Yep. So walk us through a, a a standard day for you. Like Standard day, depends. Uh, so Mondays and Tuesdays um, I will be in my rooms, either in Tweed or Ashmore. I'll see patients for consultations and work out what they need, whether they need stuff to be done at a local anaesthetic in the chair or whether they go to hospital and be under a general anaesthetic. And majority of my work's done under a general anaesthetic. Yep. Um, and that's on Monday and Tuesdays. And on those days, I'll intersperse the consults with doing stuff under local, which may be pulling out an easy wisdom tooth, putting in a dental implant, taking a biopsy of a suspected cancer, um, helping out people with oral conditions that are chronic, temporary mandibular joint problems, all that sort of stuff. That'll be my Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday's golf. Of course. <laughs> Where do you play? Burley. I'm a member at Burley. Oh, it's a lovely course. Yes. Hey. It's looking really good. It is. I've, I've been not as frequent as I'd like to over the last 12 months, but yeah, I know that life life gets in the way a little. I know. But uh, but I have made a plan that in not this Sunday, but the, well, not 1st of November, mm. I'm going to back get back it. to playing golf. Yeah. Short game. Get back into the short oh, game. Oh, God. Man, oh, well, I, play, I played... Mm-hmm. I've played twice. <laughs> played twice. That sounds so bad. bad. I'm, I'm I'm an excellent member because I pay my membership and I don't, don't play. Up. Right? <laughs> I'm an excellent member. Don't use up the booking sheet. But yeah. I've played twice uh, in the last six months, I think, and I played and not at Burley. I played mm-hmm. at uh, got a friend who's a member at Sanctuary Cove, and I got a mate, and I and I had some friends come up from Sydney, and we played at uh, Coolangatta Tweed. Right. Played terrible the first time. 
and then played really quite well. And so but I was like, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind this game again. It's not that bad. Until it bites you in the arse. And that's what it does. Yeah. And that's no, what it does. I, uh, about four years ago, I said, I'm going to concentrate on my short game. Yes. Because I'm not a big fella, so I don't hit very far. I need to do the old man thing. Hit down the middle. Not that far, but get really good at chipping and putting. And I got my handicap down to 12. And I thought, yeah. yep, yeah, I know this game. And then I um, had a small injury and had to stop playing for two months. And then it went. It goes quick. It goes, so, goes quick. so fast. It goes so It's the chipping and putting. That's all it, it is. It's, and and that's one the, chip and one putt. Oh, Boom. It's, and I am a notoriously terrible chipper. Uh-huh. And I, I've, I've played some reasonable... I've been down to scratch, mm. played some reasonable golf. I think my handicap's eight now, mm. seven or eight. Mm. And really, what I found for me is that I found golf was uh, four hours talking shit with my mates. Yep. And it was, I could just completely leave the world behind. And I think that's the key with golf. Correct. You cannot overthink golf. No. You And if you, I think you play your best when you're not thinking about golf, which is why when I moved up here, I didn't have that camaraderie because I didn't know anyone and I was finding people. And so my game suffered because mm. I was actually thinking about golf and it killed me. And my short game was the thing that really got. And my chipping became this crux for me and it's yep. it's it's such in my head now. I know. Practice. Uh, yeah, and that's all it is. That's my my favourite saying from golf is Phil Mickelson was once in a pro-am and he was playing with some company executive of four who snap hooked his first drive and swore Yeah, and then next shot he topped it and rolled it and he swore again. I won't say what words he was saying but by about <laughs> third hole Phil just looked at him and said, Sir, you are not good enough to be this angry. <laughs> and I've said that to Burley members yes. who are carrying on playing what we call whack beep. Yeah. And uh, just calm down, mate. You're not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it, uh, it, golf's a game of expectations. Yeah. And it's your expectations yeah. and it's managing those expectations. Yeah. I think the less expectations you have, the more fun you're going to have. Yep. But it is hard uh, once you play to a certain level and you don't play to that level. Mm-hmm. I think that's the expectation you need to manage. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, November one, you heard it here. This maybe, is it. maybe, uh, maybe I'll we'll see will, you on the time sheet. We'll definitely up. have a game. We will team up. Definitely have a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Wednesday's golf. Wednesday's golf. Then yeah. Thursday and Friday operating in the hospitals, and that'll be John Flynn or Pindara or Tweed or Pacific Private are the main ones I operate at. Yeah, that'll be a variety of cases. Sometimes I'll have three, four hour cases, and sometimes I'll have. 16 half-hour cases purely depends on what's coming in. Yeah. Mm. That John Flynn's a good place. Yeah, it's a great place. Yeah. My uh, my father-in-law spent a bit of time in there. Uh, and so is my wife. My wife had a couple uh, surgeries in there as well. But it's a nice hospital. Mm. Designed There's- to capture the tourist markets. They put it at the end of the airstrip. And <laughs> it didn't work. But uh, <laughs> for locals, it's good. Yeah. It's quite hidden. Yeah, I know. You would not know it's there. Well, that's why it's there. It's just yeah. supposed to be access for the Asian market to come over and get surgery and fly back. But... Uh, Never quite Never worked. Quite worked. worked no. That's an interesting, that's a good segue. Mm-hmm. Because I'd like to talk about people travelling for surgery and travelling for, yeah. you know, because I, I look at dental implants, mm. right? And Cheap over there. Yeah. But I always say to patients, because they say to me, oh, we can get this done a lot cheaper overseas. And I say that, and that's fine. Do it. Honestly, never say don't. But if you have any problems at all, you've got to fly back overseas. Yeah. Because no one in their right mind will start managing a complication here for treatment that's been done overseas. And one of the reasons I don't discourage is because there are a lot of people overseas who have exact same training as I do. And they're very, very good. 
And interesting, they charge about the same. Yeah. <laughs> and then there are others because things like dental implants, they're quite expensive. They're made from titanium in Europe and under precise measures. And then there are others that are locally made. You don't quite know what's in them, but they're a lot cheaper. Uh, and they can work. So, you know, it's it's not all surgeons overseas are bad, don't go there. It's go there if you want to. You can have a holiday, get your treatment done, but just be aware, any complications, you have to go back there. That was my question. Mm. Because I reckon that a lot of people think, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to Thailand. I'm going to get some teeth done. And it's okay. Yep. Anything goes wrong, I'll just manage it here. <laughs> but why would you? That's right. <laughs> why would you? Yeah. It's a bit scary. It looks like a painful thing. Mm. Uh, implants, no. No? Most people, the way the implants work, um, if I put an implant in someone, they don't even take a Panadol afterwards. It's wow. It's so biocompatible. You pop it in the bone. I often do it without even making a decision. You just use a whole punch virtually. <laughs> pop it in the hole, go home, and they don't take a Panadol. And you wait a few months for the bone to bond to it, and then I don't do the teeth part. I send that to the dentist who referred it to me, and they put the teeth on. And it's, it's yeah. So the process is it's a it's a long process. It's a long process because you're yeah. with bone. Anything of to do with bone takes a long time. Yeah, and you can stress it. And you can do that teeth in a day stuff. We'll put the teeth straight on, and then you're just sort of pushing the boundaries. And what they don't tell you is you know you're going to eat soup for the next few months. <laughs> yeah, put the bond to the bone because you can loosen them. But yeah, anything to do with bone, as you know, broken arm, six weeks in a cast, etc. Put an implant in. It's got to with withstand massive bite forces. Um, so it's got to be well integrated into the bone. And it was discovered by accident by a very smart Swedish bloke that was studying bone healing, and he made some microscopes uh, that could be detached, had a titanium casing, put them in a rabbit's leg, and then he could just get the rabbit out, clip the microscope on, look at the bone healing inside, and at the end of the experiment, he killed the poor rabbits, went to take his microscopes out, and he couldn't remove them from the bone. Now, for you and me, that would be rabbit stew with crunchy bits. For him, he said... What can I do with that that's yeah. useful? Oh, I can make teeth. So that's how they were invented. Isn't it incredible how things happen? Yeah. And a lot of stuff happens by accident, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a byproduct of something else. Serendipity. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. quite, you know, mm-hmm. you're a man of the but universe. It's the, it's the person's brain's ability to utilise the accident. I don't think I've got that. No. <laughs> well, you must in some instance, though. Because you you see problem, you solve it, right? Mm. And that's essentially what your job is. Yes. Problem, you solve it. Yes. Uh, so trauma and reconstruction. Yes. Why, for one? That's is that a is that a daunting area for you? That's the best part, right? That's the entire best part. Um, and I always compare it to cosmetics. So I much prefer someone's been in a horrific accident or been terribly assaulted. And I put them back to what they were and they're eternally happy. As opposed to, I don't like who I am, can you change me? And that's where cosmetics comes in. Of course. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. <laughs> There's all sorts of other psychological things can be involved in that. But putting someone back to where they should be after trauma is a great thing. And it's technically a lot of fun to do, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> like a big bloody jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, um, They get it right and the result's perfect. Uh, and that's that's what I really like to do. Well, I guess that you stuff. see you, you see people at the the worst time, yeah, and you help them, yeah, to their best time. Correct. So there must be it must be very rewarding. It is. It's very good. Yeah, and they're always happy. So yeah, a- any uh, any unhappy customers? Um, 
I'll tell you, my, fa- <laughs> my favourite ever trauma was a broken mandible, broken lower jaw. This was a number of years ago. I won't say where, but yeah. it happened on Australia Day. He got hit in the jaw by a didgeridoo. Wow. You can't get any better. That's very Australian. Very Australian. How do you reckon you're all going to hit my didgeridoo? <laughs> <laughs> that is just perfect. But he, he wasn't happy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, uh, uh, I mean, the thing about facial trauma, apart from the occasional sporting injury, the majority of broken jaws and broken eye sockets and broken cheeks are assaults. So um, they're mainly done in the public hospital. Uh, and they're not always happy people. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, very rarely, the most common story is I was standing there, someone walked up and punched me. Yes. And I just, so people say to me, oh, how'd they break the jaw? I go, I don't ask. Because 99% of the time, that is not what happened. <laughs> uh, it's, you know what? That's funny because I was having a discussion with Sophie this morning about mm. that. Like, uh, you never, the person who's telling you the story is, is invested in the story that they're giving you. And sometimes the truth is not the best way to get what they need. No, that's yeah. right. So. Yeah. Are, are you seeing an uptake in that kind of stuff though, like assaults and that kind of like that kind of surgery, or an uptake? No, it's always been bad. Yeah, um, COVID was wonderful. Yeah, well, <laughs> every, no one was allowed to leave. The lockout laws in Brisbane was really good. Yeah. I was working up in Brisbane at the Royal Brisbane Hospital when uh, Dr. Anthony Lydon, who ended up as a, a, a member of Parliament for Queensland and a minister, he brought in the uh, canvas for the lockdown laws just to say, right, you know, after two a.m. Don't let anyone else eat and wipe, wipe people out at 2 a.m. Anyway, because we're old. Um, but, uh, and the, the assaults the, drop by 50%. Yeah. Mm. Mate, there's the old adage. Nothing good happens after midnight. I know. That's what all us old but, people but say. It's, uh, but we have to be old to get that, right? No. When I was 21, it was like, where are we going? It's 3.30. What's next? No. When no I just was, go home. When I was 21, I grew up in Victoria. <laughs> and all the pubs closed at 10. Yeah, right. That was I don't know when they changed, but back right back in the 80s, Every pub closed at 10. Yeah. And it didn't reopen again until 10 in the morning. Yeah, they're 24 hours now. I know. Some of them. It's yeah. frightening. Yeah. I'm Is glad you got the money to do it. I don't know how they afford to go out and drink. I got sent a photo by my mates the other day. There was a $19.70 pint. $19.70 for a pint of beer. Beer? Ugh. Yeah. Like Jägermeister or something. No? Well, I got shocked. Don't laugh. Probably. Ten, no, eight years ago, I was at a conference in Perth at a pub, um, mining boom, and I said to my two friends, I'll go get the first beer. I got three schooners, or might have been pints, I'd say, and I gave a $50 note, and she gave me like $5 change. It's crazy, And man. I said, no, I gave you 50 She said, yeah. I did, oh, <laughs> what's, it, what's happening? <laughs> it's like smoking. They've taxed people out of smoke. Oh, it blows me away people can afford it that, that people but not that the kids can afford it yeah. mm. and like smoking is my number one it's mm. my most hated thing mm. I, i'm just not a fan my parents <laughs> smoked mm. and at varying stages of my life and i'm asthmatic so for me it's like it's the worst thing but i don't know how they can afford it. it's like 60 bucks a pack mm. Mm. and you see 15 year old kids smoking i'm like you've surely stolen them mm. I just it blows me away. So it's almost like they're taxing us out of everything now. Well, I like the new law in the UK now, or is it US? The UK is doing it as well. They raise the legal age for smoking by one year every year. Oh, so it used to be eighteen a few years ago. Then it became nineteen. It became twenty. So in sixty years' time, 
you'll have to be 72 before you're yeah, legally yeah, Robertson to smoke. Crusoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, so that's one way of doing it. <laughs> that is a good way of doing it, isn't it? It's there's just so much money in those industries, though, right? So oh, yeah. it's they just seem to be getting a way around it every time. Mm. Peek inside the panic room is proudly sponsored by Straight Up Digital. If you're looking for an irreverent, no BS, results-focused digital marketing company on the Gold Coast, look for Straight Up Digital on all social platforms or at straightupdigital.com.au. Pause. As, as we wander through my life. As we wander through <laughs> your life. So you're wearing a T-shirt. Yeah. So it must... it. I would I would think that it's a stressful job, being what you do. You're very good at it, so it's not I've that done stressful. It for a while. <laughs> so you, it's I guess it's every job if you if you're great at it, it's it's just another day at work. Mm. But there's got to be some downtime, oh. and it can't just be golf on a Wednesday. No, 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 no. You need golf doesn't use your brain. If you use your brain, you're thinking too much, and then you end up with you. Right? Yes, you don't want to, you don't want to use your brain in golf, but you want to put your brain and your energy into something outside. And I say this to every man I meet who's married. Find a good hobby. You've got to have a hobby. You've got to have a hobby. Yeah. And one reason you've got to have a hobby is so you're not hanging around with your wife. <laughs> all the time. And it's it. All the time. And I'm not saying don't hang around with your wife. I'm saying enjoy meals, do all that. But yeah. the worst part is as you get on towards retirement as well, the last thing your wife wants is you hanging around the house all day after working for 40 years. For sure. So my hobby, which started when I moved to the Gold Coast really in 2005, is pinball. Okay. Um. And the reason I took that up as a hobby is it can be done in all weathers. I'm not one of these guys. Most people I don't, my level in pinball fanaticism, grew up with pinball, played it as a kid, love it. Remember playing it all the time, the fish chip shots. Me, no. I was in boarding school. Yes. And then I got to uni in 79 when Space Invaders appeared. So I actually won the first Melbourne Space Invaders competition and then Galaga and then Frogger and, you know. I loved all the video games. Yes. Pinball was always that weird thing in the corner that dodgy people played. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a huge resurgence in pinball in the early 90s. And unfortunately, that was my breeding cycle. So I had my first kid in 88. And so I didn't go out to places to play pinball. I stayed home and helped, looked after the kids. Yep. Plus I was in the army. And then pinball died in just after 2000. Pretty much completely died. And... Then I had time to play pinball. It wasn't really around anymore. Yeah. So I didn't start. I knew of pinball, but I didn't really start until I moved to the Gold Coast. And I just saw an ad in the paper for someone who'd won a pinball machine at Bunnings, Lethal Weapon 3 by Data East, who didn't want it. They won it in a raffle. Wow. And they said, $3,000, you can have it. And I said, my wife, can I buy a pinball machine? She went, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Not knowing what was going to happen. She yes. really says that now. Yeah. Um, so I bought it, played it, loved it. Got online, learned how to fix it, learned how to clean it. So there's there's so many aspects to the hobby that um, there are sort of three basic main pinball people. There's the person that buys one machine and puts it in the corner of the game room and they say, oh, I've got a pinball machine, huh? Yeah. That's good. And they play it every now and again with yeah. their friends, with a beer, that's good. And then there's the people that become collectors, and that's me, where they breed. Um, and we can go into why they breed, but they just do. Yeah. And then there's the tournament players. And for the last 10, 15 years, I've been a pretty heavy tournament player as well. Um, <clears throat> and again, lots of stories there. My daughter, who's 20, she's the number one female player in Australia. 
um, world ranked, competes in the Women's World Championships. And her boyfriend of the last five years, who lives in Colorado, is the number one overall pinball player in the world. So he won his first world no championship way. at 13. Um, yep. He's won about five major world championships. Um, won the US Open Championship uh, in January. Just went over to Europe. Didn't do as well. Sorry, Isha. Um, <laughs> but he's coming back in two weeks. But he'll probably end up moving here. Most people know. So he'll be. he's already got his Australian citizenship because his mum's Australian. Okay. So he's moving here next year. We'll be going to uni here. So he'll be embarrassing all the... Uh, it's a bit like if I said to you... How would you like to have a game with Tiger Woods in his peak? You'd say yes. Absolutely. You've got, you got no hope of winning, but you want to be near the man. Yeah. That's what he's like when he comes over here to play. Everyone just goes, we want to play against him and see how we go. And he's on the Tiger Woods level. Yes. Compared to pretty much everybody else in Australia. 36 handicappers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's off about plus 12. But, yeah, there's the, but there's a whole resurgence in pinball. Um, so of the three things we talk about, we can talk about the collectors and the tournament players. They're the most interesting. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think that let's di- let's park the guy that just buys one. Yep. Because good that, on that, him. That, good on you. Yep. I love that. I, I want to talk about those guys. I want to talk about. I want to talk about collecting now because yep. uh, I'm a movie guy. I'm a Star Wars guy. Ooh. And worst pinball machines ever made. But <laughs> go on, they are they're <laughs> to a T. They're yeah, terrible. okay, that's not surprising, uh, but. I, was, I grew up with it. It's my favourite movie of all time. I, as a kid, I had a, a lot of toys, like a lot of toys, which as I grew older, my mum gave them away. And I, I'm still partially <laughs> have not forgiven my mother for that. But what happened in COVID mm. is that I thought, well, I've got all this time on my hands and you know, I'm being paid by the government as well and I don't have to spend any money. So I'm going to start looking at buying some stuff. Yay. And I picked a scab that has not healed and I can't see healing anytime in the future. And I now have tubs and tubs and tubs and tubs in my in my storage room that is full of toys that I shall never open mm. and that I probably and my wife says, Well you're gonna sell some and I'd like to sell some of them to buy other things. Uh, and and my focus changes as to what I want to do. So I get the collecting. Yep. I get that it becomes super addictive. Yep. I get that it becomes just about acquiring things. Mm-hmm. Pinball machines are not toys. They are. They are, toys. They are not an action figure in terms of size. Oh, good. So no. to collect or them, prize. it takes <laughs> yeah. a bit more thought. Yep. Walk me through it, please. I'm so, really interested in this. So it's it's changed. I mean, after the uh, the death of pinball in the 2000s, and I say the death of pinball because it really did die. I mean, it had its resurgence in the 90s, and Williams and Bally um, were churning out new games every two months. Um, and you could put them in arcades, and they would make money. They would pay for themselves within 12 months, and then make money. Um, and then video games just hit. The home console video games in particular really took over everything. Yeah. No one wanted to go to arcades and put money in games. Um, no one was interested in spending money on big pinball machines, especially when you could buy a, a Space Invaders stand-up arcade that you plug in and you never have to repair. Yeah. Pinball machines got a very hard steel ball being accelerated into all sorts of plastic things so they break. Yes. Um, 
So they stopped buying them. Um, and there was only one manufacturer in the whole world called Stern that trickled some out about one every six months for the next few years. But So you could go places and pick up a pinball machine relatively cheaply. So there was always garage finds, there was shed finds. You could find a guy who had bought games in the 70s and 80s and he'd have a shed full of about 50 games. And you could say, well, I'll give you $2,000 for all of them. You know, yeah, just get them out of here. And you could do them up. And uh, I used to have people coming up to me saying, oh, my my father had one in the basement and we've never played it. Do you want it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you 500 bucks for it. So once you learn to do them up, you get them back up to almost pristine and all of a sudden you had 40 games yourself that you had done up and cared for. Um, and then COVID hit. <laughs> Everybody mm. then wanted a pinball machine. Yes. And they dried up. Um, not only could you not find barn finds or garage finds anymore, the manufacturers couldn't get parts. Um, and it became very difficult to, to buy games and the prices went skyrocketing. So collecting pinball machines is very hard to get into now as opposed to what it was like in the early 2000s and before. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at any one time I looked up the other day, I've owned 65 different machines. Normally I've got a balance between 10 and 20 at home. Sometimes I've had up to 35 when I had my competition centre. Um, but everyone is a piece of art. So you look at it and you love the look of it. Um, most of them are licensed themes. I'm looking around your room. Yes. There's Rocky Pinball Machines. There's yes. 007 Pinball Machines. There are Pulp Fiction. There's Scooby-Doo, Doctor Who, Star Wars, bleh, Back to the Future, <laughs> bleh, bleh. Avengers. Um, there are good ones and bad ones. Um, so what constitutes a good and a bad one? Playability. Right. So there's, I think it's finally settling, but over the past 10 years, they will often release a limited edition, and that'll be normally numbered between 200 and 500. Then they'll release a pro model, which is designed for operators to put in pubs and fish and chip shops. So they're pretty stripped down, but they're still the licensed game that you can play. And then there's a premium for the home person who wants all the features of the limited edition but doesn't want to pay the extra. It's got a little few less toys, artwork's not quite as good, etc. Um, and people were all buying limited editions on spec before they even saw them. So there'd be a rumour coming out, um, Star Wars limited edition is coming out, and the distributors who import them to Australia, who are based in Sydney, AMD, they would have a list of people who will buy every limited edition game because they're massive collectors. But then they started getting these massive people who would buy four, leave them in the box, not open them, like your toys. Yes. Purely for the reason of when they're no longer available, they'd bump five or six thousand onto the price and sell them. Mm. So they were making money. Yes. They were making good money too because people were, were buying them. So there are collectors who play, there are collectors who flip for profit, and uh, there are collectors like me that just love them in the home. And I'll turn them over. So unlike your toys, I'll keep my 15, 16 games at home. A new one comes out. I'll just look at my 15 or 16 games, apart from about three or four, which we say are bolted to the floor. Yes. And I'll say, which one am I playing the least? And then I'll put that up. And I, I've sold, I've gone on to Facebook Marketplace or uh, Pinball Forum and I've listed a game for sale and I've clicked post and then, and I'm not joking, within 20 seconds, my phone has rung. I said, what's your bank account? I'll put money in. And every time I go, dang, I didn't ask enough money. Yeah. And I've had people ring me and abuse me and say, why did you sell it for that? You just devalued my machine. I said, 
I've got a new one coming. I wanted to sell that one and I sold it. So I'm happy with the price. Yeah, we'll learn to sell them for more. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that's collecting. Um, so you say you've got three or four that are bolted to the floor. Yeah. What are they? Oh. Um, it's like asking if I just had to do a podcast. What I, do, I do people, but I just had to do my five favourite games. Yeah. So I'll tell you what the five yes. were. Um, my fifth favourite game, get them in order, was um, uh, Star Trek Next Generation. It's not bolted, though. I've owned three of them, <laughs> and uh, I've moved them all on. My neighbour, I kept one in his garage for about six months once because I'd run out of room, and him and his kids could not stop playing it. It's yeah. just, it's a it's a masterpiece of a game. Absolutely wonderful. Um, but not bolted, as I said, because... I would stop playing after a while. It can get a little repetitive. The ones that are bolted that I love are Wizard of Oz. And that was a game that was released in 2013. And it was the first pinball machine that they put an LCD display in the back glass. So up until then, the first ones had score reels. The next ones had alphanumeric displays. And then the, the most common one in the 90s had dot matrix displays down the bottom with monocolour displays. And then a guy called Jersey Jack in America put a big full-size LCD screen in the back with animations from the movies and film clips and all your scores and what you go for, and I got that one early on. Um, and that'll stay bolted because the family and me just love it. Yeah. Um, that one's bolted. My um, daughter did a school project. She was a Somerset College student, yep. and they had to make something in year 11 that was relevant to them and special, so... We found a very old electromechanical pinball machine from 1967 called Snow Queen and a show called Stranger Things that just came out. It's a great show. Yeah. yeah. So she found how to repair an electromechanical machine, which is easy and difficult both at once, repaired the whole thing to make it work perfectly and then printed up a back glass, did an adhesive sticker for the play field, um, made stencils up for the cabinet and turned that game into a Stranger Things pinball machine. Took it to school, got the top mark. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not allowed to sell that one because yes. that's hers. Um, Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. That'll stay forever. They only made um, 400 of them. And I love Alice Cooper and his yeah. music. Yeah. And this game is just fantastic to play and immersive in the Alice Cooper. Um, what else? Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, based on the Disney film, that was a funny one because the guys who made Wizard of Oz also made that. But there was a problem with the assets that they weren't allowed to show images of the actors. So they got lots of scenes in the movies. Right. But they're generic scenes, but it was going to be too expensive to get Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley and Jeffrey Rush to agree to have the... Because you've got to pay every single one of them individually. Mm. So they just use generic movie scenes. And they're fantastic movie scenes. But the pinball finicky people went, no, unless it's got Johnny Depp in it, I don't want it. So I wouldn't buy it. So this game came out. It cost $8,000 when it came out. And I bought one because it's a great game. And then they only made 200 of them and no one would buy one. So they stopped making them. Now everyone who knows I've got it says, I'll give you 35000 for it. Wow. <laughs> so that's staying bolted only Absolutely. because I can never replace it. Yeah. People who own it would never sell theirs. It's just too much of a special game and, and rare. So there's some of my bolters. Yeah, it's incredible. And look, I, I guess I'm – I grew up in the – I'm an 80s kid. I was born in the 70s, 80s kid and grew up with arcades and love arcades. And I've got a couple emulation machines that 
I've got all the old arcade games. Yep. And I can sit for hours. When you say you've got to have a hobby, it sounds really super nerdy that I'm into Star Wars toys and I play arcade games. But even if it's for 20 minutes, I go and play 10-yard fight or something. That's something that takes me... I find for me, it's something that takes me back. Yep. Right? And nostalgia. I think that's it. It's nostalgia. Right. And I'm all about that. So I get it. I really do. What I... I've never been a huge pinball guy. No. But... I can appreciate the beauty of it. Yep. I can appreciate the piece. Yep. Uh, I, I, I'd like you to explain, because you said what makes a game great. You said playability. Yes. Exp- can you explain that to me? Because for me, I, I, f- I don't understand. Yep. Because you're right. It's a couple paddles or four paddles and a metal ball. Explain yep. to me about, and that's me being as, as layman as How I can. How do you call them paddles? But, well, well, there you go. <laughs> Please educate me. No, it's funny. Please, master, <laughs> we have educate t- me. We actually have T-shirts made up going, yes, I do play ping pong. <laughs> because people say, oh, a ping pong machine. Anyway, and that's funny. And we all and we all hate being called tim- pinball wizards too, yes. which you haven't done, so that's good. No, I'm never going. I would never. I would never. But um, the playability is, is, is when you realise that you can control the pinball. Most people who don't think about pinball plunge the ball and they start hitting the buttons. And the flippers go up and down. And they go, wee, and then it drains. And they go, oh, they're flipping again, wee. Now, playing pinball, and especially tournament pinball, is exactly the same as golf. The golf is the closest thing I can find to pinball. So instead of having an 80-hole golf course, you've got a pinball table. Right? And when them. you play in tournaments, you play on different golf courses, which are different pinball machines. Now, when you chip onto the green... It's very hard to run up to the ball while it's still moving and put it in the hole. So what you want to do is let the ball stop. Then you aim, then you hit it in the hole. You go, I'm clever. Now, if I told you, and have you ever played this pirate game? They used to play it at Lakelands where they have two pins, one with a black flag and one with a white flag. Oh, yes, yes. And they put the black flag on the side of a slope, so it's worth three times as much as the normal pin. Yep. That's in pinball, you'll have rules. And if you hit a ramp... You might get a thousand points. If you hit a target and then that ramp, you get ten thousand points. So the rule designers make the game accessible for the shots to be hit and then they develop rules around those shots to make it interesting. And then the really good ones make the rules and the shots relevant to the theme. All right. So when you look at a game, let me think of an example. Right, when you Wizard of Oz, the bolter on the floor. It's a packed game full of stuff from the movie. And if you sit there and flip the flippers and try to kick the ball in there. So what you do is you plunge the ball and as soon as you can, you catch it on the flipper. And by holding the flipper up and putting the ball on it, I can then decide at what part of the play field I'm going to hit the ball to. Now there's a ramp on the middle right that'll go to an upper play field with a house on it and a little flipper on that. And if you use a little flipper, you can make the ball go around the house. And if you make the ball go around the house 10 times without coming out, the... Witch's legs will come out from under the house. (laughs) (laughs) Like my favourite thing for Wizard of Oz is the the description of TV guy saying, girl travels to a foreign land, teams up with three others and kills the first two people she meets. (laughs) (laughs) So that's part of the immersion of the rules of the Wizard of Oz game. And then on the other side, there's a castle. So you've got to go up in the castle and you've got to spell rescue with the targets that have the letters on them. Then you've got to bash the castle door three times, the doors open, the ball goes in there and you get a multi-ball. So this is all about the playability of the game. So 
do you figure this out yourself? Well, now we've got the internet. In the old days, you figured it out yourself. Yeah. Now, well, the other thing with golf is, so we've got the courses, we're controlling the ball, and then there's an awful lot of luck. So in golf, you hit a perfect drive, it lands on a sprinkler head and goes shooting off into the trees on the right. Yep. And you go, that's golf. Yep. That's bad luck. Pinball, you can hit that ramp 20 times perfectly, and then you miss it once and it goes straight down the drain. And you go, mm. Mm. <laughs> So it's similar to golf in that way. But with the rules, I'm competing less now because the rules are getting far too complicated for me. These Most of the top pinball players in the world, ranked in the top 20, are all under 19 years old. Yeah, it's a young man's game, right? Their brains, Their brains absorb are different, yeah. all this. Yeah. And they'll do things like Escher says on PPM, points per minute. So when him and I go on the same game, we can both have a ball that lasts for 15 minutes and he'll have a score of 1.2 billion and I'll have 100 million. Because he goes, I'm not going to do anything until I've hit that target six times and bought my multipliers up to 40 times, then I'm going to start hitting that ramp. And so he's getting 40 times the value for the same shot that I'm going because yeah, he knows right. where that is. Yeah. And the way they do it is when they release the game, they'll often do a YouTube tutorial on how to play it and where the rules are. And they'll give you a printed up sheet that you can learn. And then the really good players look for the exploits. So they'll get the game and they'll play it in a competition. And they go, oh, hold on. If I do that, that's going to get me a much bigger score than what they think is over there. And so they work out exploits and people again like golf, like golf, know the rules, uh, get them to work for you. Correct, right? And yeah. then what these poor manufacturers do is they watch the tournaments and go, "Little turd, bastards!" <laughs> and now a lot of the games are internet connectable, and they'll automatically upgrade the software to get rid of those exploits. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so they that's go, a bit sneaky. I know. Well, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, um, and they they make mistakes in the US where they'll have a tournament and they'll just put it in an arcade, invite these people and say, I'm going to give you $1,000 if you win and they'll get three or four top players. You play one ball, that ball will go for one hour and they'll go, we've made a mistake. Yes. Because they haven't modified the games. So when they play the USPGA, they let the rough grow really high, mm. they make the greens slick as a lino floor. In pinball tournaments, there's little rubbers on the outlanes near where the ball's drain that you can actually nudge the machine to get it to come back in. Those posts with the rubbers are gone. They make the game steeper. They make the slingshots either side that shoot the ball sideways so sensitive <laughs> that the ball just just brushes it, hardly touches it, boom, fires it off. So they make the game nearly impossible to, for, to play for mortals um, and that will shorten the ball times and make the tournament more manageable for the top players. That's a bit sneaky, isn't it? Oh, they have to. Yeah. <laughs> so then... <laughs> so I, I can't let my son listen to this... Podcast because he's seventeen. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, everyone wants to be a professional gamer, mm. right? So, what's it take? How many hours are you putting into this? Say, say your yep. your your daughter's boyfriend yep. who's the best in the world. Yep, he started at age four. Okay, right. that's where you start. <laughs> wow, <laughs> and a good and, and again depends on your natural ability. Some people have good reflexes. Um, and it's all about reaction times. Some people aren't so good, so they can play forever and not get pretty good. Some people just have the... And it's 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 the ability to concentrate for long periods that current tournaments will start at 10 a.m. and go through till 4 or 5 in the morning on the big, the big tournaments. Just crazy long. Absolutely stupid. So they have short tournaments. There's a number of different formats, as there are with other sports. 
So there's like the T20 cricket versus the yep. test match. Yep. The test matches are you qualify in pinball over two days, you have the finals on the third day. Um, and then there's Flip Frenzies, which we do in Brisbane at a place called Netherworld. Every month, 30 people, you buy tickets in advance, it's always sold out. You go in there and you have three hours. And the computer just picks two people and the name of a game. You go over, you play that game, you come back. The winner says, I won that one. Put you on another machine with someone else for three hours solid. And whoever's got the most wins versus losses wins the tournament. So you know the comp's going all three hours. You just try to get as many games in as you can against all random people, which is a lot of fun. So that's more like your T20. Yeah, right. Yeah. This is a lot bigger than I've given it any kudos for. It's still underground, but <laughs> still underground. How edgy are you? I mean, well, you know, it's it's growing all the time. Australia is the third largest country as far as participation in pinball. USA is number one. Canada's number two. Australia's number three. Because uh, we love our toys. We yes. love gadgets. Yeah. You know, we, we do all that. And uh, at the moment around this area, there's a pinball tournament on every week. So the park up in Coomera. Yep. Is it Coomera? Yeah. Uh, they have about 15 games and they have every two weeks competition there. Um, Netherworld has competitions every second week as well. And then Time Zone in Surface has a competition once a month. So you can always go and compete. Um, but it's growing. It's growing quite quite well, uh, which is good. And do you, you, you said you compete? I compete. Yeah, I compete mainly now to support my daughter. I'm not as good as I used to be. Yeah, <laughs> I still well, enjoy it. Yeah, you have a beer. Don't expect to do too well like golf. Yeah, get you out and about. We've got a big weekend at um, coming up. Oh, where is it? It's called Yabula Pinball Club. It's it's just on the not Redcliffe, but just short of Redcliffe. Um, that's this weekend. Um, that'll go for three days. Uh, Manny social for me. She should probably win a few couple of things, so it's good. Yeah. Can you make a living? No. If you work in the industry. Yeah. Um, make, making games and designing games, doing that. Yes. I mean, actually, the the number one player here on the big tournaments, he'll he'll come home with um, sometimes four thousand, sometimes ten thousand US. Okay. So it's not it's to the not it's not to e games sport. sort of stuff. Not yet. Where people are. Making a living out of just nah. competing, in and that's because the accessibility of the games. You know, yeah, games. Anyone can spend twenty bucks and buy a fortnight. Yeah, um, no one can spend as much money as they can on pinball and practice. And you've got to practice on all the games, and that's the hard thing. So, the way you practice is just go to the events and play all these games. First, I went to Pinburg in America about 10, 12 years ago. They had four hundred fifty machines oh. in the one hall, and that event went for three days, and you played. Uh, 20 games a day, um, spread out over the day against varying people to get into your divisions. And I think I'd only ever seen probably 15% of the games that were there. All the rest were brand new that I'd never played before. But pinball people are good. You say, how the hell do you play this? I say, I've got to hit that, then that. And go, okay. Okay, I was going to, mm. that's a good, that's a good question. Is it a friendly, is it Very. a friendly environment? Supportive? Very. It's a nerd thing. Yeah. Nerds like hanging around with nerds. They do. So if you get new people in, you encourage them. It's new nerds. Yeah, it's, it's new nerds. Yeah, grow, grow the... Yeah, grow the team. Yeah, yeah. But the um, the other things with pinball, hard quiz. You didn't ask me about hard quiz. 
I'm oh, famous. Oh, sorry. Please. <laughs> Hard quiz. Go for it. it. I mean, people such an underground community, when I told everyone that I was going on a hard quiz, I told them what night it was on, it was the number one top-rated show that week in Australia because all the pinball nerds tuned into the ABC, which they never do, to watch me on a hard quiz. And, uh, yeah, I went on a hard quiz a number of years. It's, it's repeated about every three or four months because patients come in all the time and go, oh, I saw you on telly last night. I That's go, funny. Okay, thanks for that. But uh, now I went on that and uh, did pinball as much special topic. Yeah. It was bizarre because one of the questions was about my sister's boyfriend before she knew him. Because <laughs> he had a famous incident where when he was young, 10, 9, he'd say to Dad, Dad, if I win tonight, will you buy me an ice cream? And he'd say, yeah, I'll buy you an ice cream. And he'd win, he'd buy an ice cream. And then they went to the World Championship and say, hey, Dad, if I win the World Championship, will you buy me an ice cream? And he said, if you win the World Championship, I'll buy you an ice cream truck. So he won the world championship and he's still waiting for the truck. <laughs> and that was a question. What was he promised if he won the world championship? And it was an ice cream truck. But, uh, so that was a bit of fate that they ended up together. Yeah. That is funny. Yeah. So where did they meet? Uh, Just at a pinball tournament. Okay. Over at Pinburg. That's that one with 450 machines. Yeah. Um, she flew over with me and she was 15. And um, I tried to introduce them then because it was the same age, but they weren't interested. And then two months later, he flew over here to the Brisbane Masters, which is Australia's biggest pinball tournament. And that year was held at the Ecker in Brisbane in the Agricultural Hall. Yeah. Everything smelt like horse poo. Delicious. <laughs> it was good. Delicious. And uh, he was out of his environment. And uh, yeah, I ended up looking after him and gave him lunch. And then they chatted and then they chatted more. And he was here for two weeks. And then they went back and... Um, Got together online and played lots of online gaming together and after about six months sort of officially started going out over the internet. Yeah. Um, which suited me to the ground because all through year 10, 11 and 12, my daughter had a boyfriend, so she wasn't under social pressure to find a boyfriend mm. who couldn't take her out. Yes. But it's the father's <laughs> dream. Yes. It's an absolute dream. <laughs> so, yeah, they've been going strong ever since. But uh, they catch up about two or three times a year. It, it's, it's every father's dream. Not just to have a uh, daughter that has a boyfriend that can't see them. It's a long way away. Right. Yeah. But but to find a passion with their children. Correct. Right? Yeah. This must be special for you. Well, it's a great excuse. Yeah. I want to spend some daddy-daughter time, dear. Let's go and play pinball. But also get you across <laughs> the line with mum, right? Correct. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's not me. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's you know, yeah. it's, got, it's quality got, time. I've got five kids. Yeah. Oh, wow. She's the only one that wants to do pinball. You only need one, though. Um, I know. But it was never a, a, a forced thing either. It was just um, we used to go and play in Time Zone in Service Paradise uh, competition there. And Juan, who used to own Time Zone, just used to give us all the swipe cards so we could play the games on pinball. But the swipe cards also worked on all the other games. So she would say to me, can I come into the pinball tournament so I can play some games? She would play a few games of pinball then go play whack-a-mole or driving yeah. game or do something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when she did play the game, she suddenly found, oh, she was only 14. Oh, I can beat that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I just beat that guy. And I said, oh, well done. And then uh, she found out more and more she could beat more and more people and uh, make the adult men unhappy, which entertained her endlessly. <laughs> <laughs> and irritated them. Yeah. And then she just got better and better from there. So then she played less whack-a-mole and more pinball. And, yeah, so it was just a, a natural thing that she wanted to do. And then we, we started doing YouTube shows. Um, but we play a different game every week and show people how to play it and and uh, yeah, did some podcasting and now she's at uni up in, in Brisbane doing game design, business and animation. So uh, Incredible. Mm. I, I look back uh, at what the options were 
when I was going through school for things you could do and I it, I'm so super jealous of kids nowadays with mm. the with the uh, I guess the opportunities they have with all these different things to study and that just weren't around. Like mm. you had to do math, science, and English, and that was essentially it. Yeah. And then you could make a decision about what you wanted to do with the rest of your life uh, with with that. And I think that some people know. Like you, obviously, you had a plan. You wanted to do medicine, and but some people don't. Yeah. And I think now that there's so many opportunities for people to, uh, that they can follow their dreams, they really can. Ugh, imagine being that age, you have to work that. Oh, I know. Oh, I, I, I'm having that discussion with my seven year old son, mm. and I'm like, man, I'm not putting any pressure on you, mm. but you know. You're going to make decisions now which are going to affect the rest of your life, which is a scary thing. Mm. And yet you'll have opportunity to change those things. But let's try and make some right yep. decisions, yep. you know, or better decisions. Yeah. It's, it's it's difficult. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. I think I remember one person said once the only thing a parent can really do to help their child is vet their friends. Make sure yeah. the people they're hanging with. Mate. Are within a good realm for them. And uh, apart from that, they really got to work their own way yeah. of life. Yeah. It's so it's so true. Mm. It's uh, you, you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. Yep. And you got to that. I, I say to my son, that's the most important decision you'll ever make. Mm-hmm. And he's got good friends, which is great. But it is such a crucial part of your life. Yeah, because that will decide the 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 road you go. Really. That's right. And depends what you know. A lot of times, of people saying, oh, "I don't want to go to that uni because all my friends are going to that uni." Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. you don't want to have them alienated and going to a place that they're going to be miserable as well. Yeah, but the uni experience has all gone weird too because they don't actually go. Well, we, we've <laughs> just we, well, we've just hired a new girl in the in the agency, and she started on Monday, and she's studying uh, graphic design mm. one day a week. Yeah, it's full time. Yeah, <laughs> is full time uni. I was like, excuse me, and now she's finished until March. I know. Okay, that's six okay. months. Like, <laughs> full time is one day a week for six yeah. months, and there's breaks in that as well. Yeah. So, yeah. things have changed. I know. Yeah, I know. It's all recorded. It's online. You yeah. know, they do it at home at the desk. Yeah, so it's changed. But if you were, you're not an old enough person, if you're not whinging about what the next generation <laughs> below you is either listening to or doing or yeah. learning or. <laughs> in, you entitled brats, yeah. you know. Good on them. I must. I must use the word entitled at least once a once a week about something, and I think God, I'm sounding like my dad. Uh, but pinball, if people want to play, yeah, go up to the park at Westfield. Yeah, in um, Helensville. That's it, Helensville Cooma area. Yeah, it's the park at Westfield. They've got good quality games that all work because yeah, pinball maintenance is important, and there's nothing worse than. I go places and I see a pinball machine and one of the flippers doesn't work. And you go, no, such a bad advertisement. Yeah. But up there, a guy called Matt Broderick looks after all the games and, um, yeah, you're playing. You don't have to play tournaments. You can just go have a hit with the kids. I've got some on location. I've let my babies out into the wild. I've got some down at um, Crumbin Valley Brewing. And uh, the guys there are all amazed that uh, on a Friday and Saturday night, the number of fathers there with kids... Standing at the machine, kids are on a chair, dad's playing the machine, the kids just looking. Yeah. And it's just constant, it's full time. They love it. They've never seen pinball before. Yeah. So um, it's a good bonding again. Time with your kid while yeah. having a beer. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> you gotta find you know, perfect life. new new and uh, new and exciting ways to have a beer. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so I think that get into pinball, you can go to the park. Yep. You you can compete, you don't have to compete, you yep. can have fun, you can you can yep. learn about it. Yep. You can look online to find out how you should be playing the game. Correct. Now, 
you said you had a YouTube show. Yep. Or you have a YouTube show or you had a YouTube show when you do a podcast. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. All right. So we had the channel Emily and Dr. John, it was called, for obvious reasons. Yes. <laughs> and it was it was mainly probably two years ago. They're still all up there online where yeah. we just analysed the game together and then at the end we would have a best of three match. And it was good in the old days. I used to beat her. <laughs> and then it, you see the tide starting to turn as she's yeah. getting older and then she lost interest in doing it with me. They're still all up there. But if you ever come against a game, you can search on YouTube, pinball and the name of the game. And sometimes it'll be us. We had about I don't know, 30 or 35 different games on there. Yeah. Um, and then podcasting. I've been involved in podcasting for at least 16 years where I'd be a correspondent for people. So there are, I find in podcasting most people last about 100. Yes. <laughs> and then they, it stops being fun, so they stop. So I never wanted to exclusively do my own podcast, but I was always happy to contribute, whether it's a game review for a game or talking about tournaments that I've been to or shows I've been to. People, especially in the US, will get me on and talk about that. I currently have a podcast called the Aussie Pinball Podcast. You can probably search on your podcast. We'll find it. We'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I did that because there's so much history of pinball in Australia, but it wasn't documented. So I did it purely as an interview where I'd get everyone from the distributor that brings the games in in Sydney to guys who service the game, to guys that transport games, to people who have been long-term competitive players. Um and talk about their experiences of pinball in Australia. And uh, as I said, a lot of history. It's all based mainly around Newcastle because there was a guy there called David Hankin and he was the first manufacturer of pinballers in Australia and he made such great games as Dennis Lilly's How's That <laughs> and FJ Holden. <laughs> so he, yeah, he actually did a Star Wars game called The Empire Strikes Back, which is absolutely terrible. But he did it. I don't think it was properly fully licensed, um, but he did it. So they made they made five games in the in the eighties, and there's a manufacturer down in Melbourne at the moment um, called Haggis Pinball, and they've made one original title, and now they're recreating beloved games from the late eighties um, under license. So they're doing the manufacturing now. So I wanted all that had a history of pinball in Australia to be sort of documented on something. So when people can look back and go, you know, oh, I've heard of him, and then you can see a, hear a podcast. About yeah. yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool, aren't they? Like, I think it's uh, it's amazing you say you've been involved in it for sixteen years. I swear to God, people think that podcast has been around since COVID, right? <laughs> and it's been around for a long time, yep. and it's just become, uh, I guess, chic when yeah. people had time on their hands to, to you're right, you know, last hundred episodes or some last twenty episodes, right? It's, it, it is a grind. There's no doubt. But as, if it's fun, yeah. as long as there's still fun in it, I think that's the key. Yeah. And as long as people, you know, it's the beauty of pinball is it's quite niche. Yeah. So for you, for a podcast, having a niche super fans is what you want. That's right. So it doesn't matter whether you've got 50 or, you know, you might have 50 super fans, which might be better than having 5,000 fans. Yeah. Because those 50 are going to give you more than what the 5,000 will. And that's what you want. You want... You want to you want to develop super fans. I think it sounds like in the pinball industry that it's it's super fan or not. Yeah, yeah, which is great. That's right. Well, Esh's dad's very sensible, and he always describes him as as soon as he gets a big head because he's just done something fantastic, and he goes somewhere and people are gathering around him, and his dad always says, "Just remember, son, you're micro famous." <laughs> <laughs> 
don't ever think yeah. that this is important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that that's a that's a very leveling statement, yeah, isn't it? Right. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. But we'll. Um, I took him down to Taspin has a big show in Launceston uh, every year, which they raise money for charity. And we just came back from one in Newcastle that does the same thing. But we took Escher down to to Taspin, and uh, people were sort of standing back like, oh. He's the number one player in the world. What do we do? And I, I said to him, just go up and say, do you want a game of pinball? Yeah. And he would go, yeah, sure. What do you want to play? And uh, get on the game. And unfortunately, it was one of those cases where the games hadn't been modified. Oh, okay, yes. And he'd do one ball and then have five extra balls stacked up after that one ball, <laughs> which would go for 20 minutes. And the person would say, oh, dang it, I don't think I want to play with Can you Can I have anymore. a game? Can <laughs> I have a game? <laughs> <laughs> and they had a leaderboard there. They had a brand new game. It had just been released. No one had played yet. Um, Escher had seen it in America called Foo Fighters and they had a big leaderboard, electronic leaderboard because it was connected to the internet and people were playing the game and you know, get three or four hundred million, which was good. And the name was up there, put your initials in and they said, have a go at this, Escher, see if you can get on the leaderboard. He went, okay, 1.6 billion later. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they said, right. And I said, that's why you've got to modify your games. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's but, scary, um, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's nice to have fans in, as you said, a niche market because it's it's good to be recognised, but you can get close to it. You know, most most big sports, you're not going to get on a golf course and have Jeff Ogilvie with you or Tiger no. Woods, and you're not going to have play basketball and you know have Michael Jordan roll up for a hit with you. But in pinball, in the big events, that's what happens. The best players in the world, you're going to be playing a full player game with them. Yeah, and you know you're not going to win, but you're really going to love it. Well, it's about the experience, isn't it? Really, like Correct. it's, uh, you know, you. It's like with golf; you play with better people, you get better. You know, you you've got to push yourself. It, uh, mate, it sounds like so much fun. I, I think that you'll it's have op- to come over for a game. No, I, I, I definitely will. Mm. I, I think it, 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 my wife will probably shudder to hear me say that, but I definitely am very keen to. And you bring your son. Yeah, he there's lo- even I, an event we play. I play uh, an event called ping golf, which you'll love. There's actually the ping golf championships coming up in America. So instead of just playing a normal game, you either play score-based or objective-based. I like objective-based. So remember on Wizard of Oz I said, you hit up the top play for your mother has spin 10 times and the witch's legs come out? Yep. That's your goal. All the games are set on five ball. Yep. If you do that in your first ball, hold on one. If it takes you three balls before you can make that house spin 10 times, you get a score of three for that hole. Ah, and you play right. nine holes. In yeah. another game, you've got to start a multi-ball by hitting a certain sequence of things. As soon as that multi-ball starts, that's your objective. Did it take you two balls? Did it take you five balls? If it takes you more than five, you just get six for that hole. And then at the end of it, you work out what your golf oh, score that's is. that's pretty cool. That's pin golf. Yeah. So you don't have to get so in deep and the games don't have to last so long and it's easy to tell people what to do. Yeah. You don't have to tell them all the rules. Just going to say that's I, the one thing you've got to do is that and do it as quick as you can. All right, can. that's a cool entry. It is good. That's a cool entry point where you don't have to be concerned about the whole thing. It's no. just... Yep. You know, you get familiar with aiming yeah. and trapping and controlling, and it's a bit of fun. Yeah. yeah, pin golf, mate. You've opened my mind to a world that I knew existed, but not to the level that it did. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's a, most people I talk to, first thing they say is, "Do they still make them?" Yes. <laughs> and um, I'll show you a photo of my games room, even. Oh, please. Um, yes, they do still make them uh, regularly. There's about four titles come out every year from Stern. And Jersey Jack does one a year. Uh, and then there's a couple of others. There's a brand new game being premiered uh, next Saturday morning at 3 a.m. our time. 
that I was involved in helping with. So my Aussie Pinball podcast has the big reveal at 1 o'clock Friday the 13th in the US, which is about 3 a.m. here. So if you find the Aussie Pinball podcast, listen at 3 a.m. Saturday and you'll be the first Definitely. to hear um, <laughs> what this new game is, which I'm... I know is a great game and I'm looking forward to mine's being airshipped over next week. So, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. So I'm just for the podcast. Oh, I love it. Seeing the panorama of my oh, games. Mate, room. how good's that? <laughs> how good is that? <laughs> That's a minimum you need in your house. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get a copy of that photo and we'll make sure we put it up on the social so everyone can see it. And, uh, and I'm sure my wife is already, uh, she can, my wife's away in Italy at the moment. She can already feel that photo, and, and she's already preparing for the for the for the no. Yeah, you need the one. Yeah. Start with one. You'd never get a second. Yeah, yeah, just one, darling. Just, just one. one. If I, maybe I need to sell some toys and get a pinball. Ooh, yeah. Don't get a Star Wars. No, no. Well, I won't. Oh, they're terrible. Yeah. I don't know why. Everyone has such. I think it's everyone has such great expectations when it's oh, it's Star Wars, and there's yeah. been six of them. What a disappointment. I know. What a disappointment. I know. It's sad. Doctor Who's great. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, Doctor Who's good. It's a good TV show, <laughs> and too. it's a great pinball machine. Super dorky. It's the first six. It's the first six Doctors. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, mate, it's. It, uh, can we get you on again? Yeah, come on anytime. I love coming in for a chat, mate. I'd love talk to talk about I'd, pop culture. Talk about music. I, we've and look, you know what? We've, we we can put down. We can put down the day job now. <laughs> yeah. We've done that. This is what we're doing. All right. You know, because I feel now that what I, who I'm talking, talking to, Dr. John, the the oral surgeon slash pinball master. That's it. Like, and that, and it, it, it could be flipped. <laughs> yes, it could right. be, you know, <laughs> pinball man slash oral yeah, surgeon. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, yeah. pinball's more important. Oral <laughs> surgery pays for pinball. <laughs> well, I was going to say, is it is it got to that now it's where it's stupid. like it's servicing the hobby? Yeah, it's stupid prices. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't oh, – I keep saying I don't buy new pinball machines. I just bought two new ones. But I try desperately not to buy them anymore because they're so freaking expensive. Yeah. Um, with our dollar rate being at 62 at the moment too, it does not help. That hurts. That they're made in yeah. America and you've got to ship them over. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, it's life. Dr. John, it's been amazing. Thank you, for, thank you for – I have had a lot of fun. And it won't be the last time. I'd love to get you back in and keep abreast of what's going on. We'll get you after you've come and had a few games. Mate, I need to come. We yep. need to set that up. That's we, we shall do that and okay. we'll play a game of golf. Yay. Yeah, okay. It's all happening. Good on you, mate. Look at that. Thanks for your time, Thanks mate. Thanks for that. Okay, keep listening to Peek Inside the Panic Room and uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Peek Inside the Panic Room. If you want to hear more of the chaos, make sure you follow us to stay up to date. Don't forget to give us a five-star review and check out our socials at Straight Up Digital.